It's not by chance or coincidence anyone here is here today in this room. You've been called here by purpose. You have been led here by the Spirit of Christ for purpose, for the plans of heaven. It is not by chance or coincidence you are here today. This morning is not church. This is not another sermon. This is not another message. This is a gathering of people coming to a place of agreement with the spirit of unity. Broken, lost sinners looking to heaven, looking to your heavenly father and saying, save me. Save me and bring me to heaven. Today is not church. Today is not another sermon. Today is not another message. Today is the start of revival. And everyone here has a role to play in that. For the Lord God says, if my people shall repent and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. I will heal their city. I will heal its people. If my people shall turn and repent from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. I will heal their city. And I will heal its people. Whatever reason you thought you came here today, whatever expectation you had, I'm going to ask you right now before you sit down to throw it out the window. If you came here expecting a blessing, you're in the wrong place. If you came here today to get answers, you're in the wrong place. If you came here today to negotiate with God, to try to reason with God, you're in the wrong place. You see, this isn't church. This isn't just another meeting. I didn't come here to bring a sermon. Today is 100% God and it's 0% man. The message I've been given to bring today is the word of God. And we all know that we need the author present when we read the word. So I'm going to ask you, before you sit down, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Whatever distraction you've got going on in your life right now, put it down. Whatever expectations you have for today, for this church, whatever you think I'm going to say or what I'm not going to say, let go of it. Come today with open hands and stand in agreement for revival for this city and believe with all of your hearts, with all of your mind, that today is the day of revival. We are the revival. I'm going to give you a few moments. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to get, get into it.
as you're taking your seats, I just want to start by saying, today is not about me. I have nothing of value to say to you. I have brought nothing to give you other than the message that God has put in my heart for this city. I came here from Hereford on Friday and I'm going to be here for the next month. This is where the Lord has brought me for purpose for Norwich and for, Nor um, for Norfolk. And today, I believe in my heart that these are the keys to opening the door for the King of Glory. We have to take possession of the keys. We have to place it in the lock. We have to turn the keys to open the door, to allow the glory to come into the room. To be refined by fire, we must be washed in the word. Elijah built the altar first before he called on the fire of heaven to fall. And today, friends, we're going to take possession of the keys. And what I believe in my heart, in my spirit, is what I have to share with you are the keys of heaven. That we together, in the spirit of unity, will place in that lock and turn for this city to allow the door to open for the king of glory to come into the room. This is not a message for Elam. This is a message for this city, for Norwich, for Norfolk. This is a message to heal the land and its people, to break the principalities that are over this county. This is the East Gate, and the Lord is coming to the East. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that, church? Do you want to meet Jesus face to face today? Let's see. Who's got the Bibles with them? Physically, who's got the Bible and raise it in there? Hallelujah. That uh, hasn't died out just yet. I'm going to talk about the Word of God. I'm an evangelist. I talk about the gospel. I talk about Jesus. But today I'm going to talk about the Word of God. And we're going to go on a journey. I don't have a title for this message because you, convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, will at some point during the time I speak, understand what that message is for you, for where you're at. Because I know, and Sam knows, and many of the leaders in this city know, that it's time for the greatest awakening and quickening of God's people to the true nature and purpose. So whatever the Holy Spirit is going to do today, it's only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he's going to do it through this word. The Bible Welcome to the story of God. No book on earth has been talked about, debated, revered, or hated more than the one you've got right now, whether it be electronic or paper. This single book has revolutionized humanity, and it's ignited revolutions. It's not uncommon for people to mock the Bible. It's not uncommon for them to have preconceived notions or ideas of what it is. Some people will say it's formed by man, written by the church. Others view it as just another religious manual. While some see it simply as a helpful roadmap for those seeking spiritual guidance. But ultimately, the Bible defines itself, claiming to be the book like no other. The Bible declares that it's altogether different, a holy, sacred, inspired, and active word of God. It is the unique story, God from the beginning to the end with one central character, Jesus Christ. From the beginning of time, oral tradition, a story, has played a crucial role in human development, serving as a vehicle which communicates bondage and what we understand uh, in serving culture. From one generation to the next generation, the word is transferred, passed from people to people. The written word has emerged and into the very fabric of time, a singular force remains within the story. Yet everywhere on earth, no matter how advanced civilization is, people are attracted to well-told stories. Every great film, every great novel, every song, every video that's ever been played, art, the very foundation of creation within our spirit, to the very uh, marketing muscle for every business, whether it be kingdom or secular. 
with one rooted in the power of its story. Why are we so attracted to story? Could it be because we're made in the image of a storyteller? God himself. Could it be that we're born already in the motion of a story, for one who's always been? Yet we choose to make himself known to us, to you, and to me. The story is undoubtedly the most important story ever told. Yet miraculously it weaves us into the pages, us prized possessions, and he pursues us more than we pursue him. A theologian called N.T. Wright, he said that scripture reveals Christianity is the true story of the whole world. That's a beautiful thought when you think about it. When you consider the idea of a story woven into the fabric of humanity, a singular story. Speaking of it for itself, the Bible says all scripture is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. While penned by human writers over a period of about 1,500 years, about 45 authors in total, God's spirit spoke through each one of those. One author, one voice, one spirit, many generations of godly men and women. While penned by human writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible is comprised of God-breathed words. What you are holding is not simply a book. It's not simply ink on a page. It's breathed breath of God on a page. And I think the very obvious thing that's happened in this generation is we become complacent with its very existence. There are many people out there in the world who would cry out to God, Lord, make way for me to receive a Bible. I've been to some churches and seen one Bible passed around a congregation of a few hundred. But here in the Western world, we take it for granted that we can walk into a supermarket and buy one for only a few pounds. Front and center is the story of Jesus. He is God-man who created everything, yet entered into history to redeem sinful man and raise up by grace every lasting life. Not only carefully chronicled by eyewitness gospel accounts, Jesus' life was acknowledged by the leading historians of time. His death, his resurrection, and the defining moments in human history and later, the most investigated events of all time, the resurrection. These are proclaimed, these powerful moments, they bring men and women from spiritual death to life. Every continent, every single day, people talk about the resurrection. But Jesus' role in this story from beginning to end is not confined by the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is, a, is just as visible on the first page as he is on the last. He is present in the Garden of Eden just as he's present in the Garden Tomb. The entire story of the Bible points to him. You search scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. John 5, 3, 9. The life is the author of the word of God. And when we read it, we need the author present to bring the life in the word. And that's what we'll do today, church, as we wash ourselves in the word of God before the fire of heaven comes to consume us. You may be asking yourself if you're new to church, maybe you're, you're a new believer, how do I get my head around such a massive story? Where do I start in gaining better, a better grasp of scripture or understand the Bible story in general? The Bible is better understood when it's broken down into six parts. And for the purpose of what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak into this city, to take us back to a moment at the beginning, to almost press restart, refresh, to come back to the original blueprint, I'm going to briefly talk about these six parts. I don't expect you to follow me in the word. I'm going to move quickly. But listen, listen with your spiritual ear so that you may see in the spirit the truth of what I'm sharing today, because this is our heart of our Father in heaven. Those six parts are beginnings, revolt, people, savior, church, and forever. Beginnings, revolt, people, savior, church, and forever. And for some of you here, you may be familiar with some of this, for some of you may be new, but for us to come to the end together, Together, 
to be at the altar together, we must go on a journey together. Let's take a look at each part and where Jesus is within these six places. The beginnings. Every story has a beginning. Every philosopher, scientist, civilization, every poet, every religion, every person has a story and a beginning. As Jesus people, our story begins with the creating God. The text underscores that you are created in the image of God. Thus, your, oil, uh, your origination was in the mind of a majestic God. Everything beautiful, everything spiritual, everything wonderful, everything eternal was in the mind of a majestic God. That image, that divine image, has been woven into humanity and into time from the beginning of creation, right from the start. This triune God, let us make man in our image, Genesis 1, 26. The emphasis has been added here that the Son would bring about creation of everything, for by him, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, for him, Colossians 1, 16. In the beginning, Jesus created everything. Amen? Hallelujah. Stick with me, church. Let's go. Revolt. Every story has a problem. The problem of humanity is sin. Though welcomed in paradise, Adam and Eve, they had free will. They had free will. The three gifts we receive from heaven, the gift of life, the gift of time, and the gift of free will. And you see, the devil takes those things and he uses them against us. He takes our life, he takes our time, and he uses our free will to give us deception away from our Father in heaven. But they had free will. They lived in a perfect paradise. But they fell into physical and spiritual death. The consequences were severe. And humankind was separated from the creator. Yet in mercy, God sacrificed an animal and made a covering for the man and for the woman to what was to come. Forgiveness and righteousness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When people revolted, God had already set in motion a plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, the greatest hostage rescue mission the world has ever seen. The greatest hostage rescue mission the world has ever seen. Come on, people. And it's still in motion. Amen? Okay, stick with me. People, every story has participants, those who are going to be impacted by the unfolding drama. This fall resulted in mankind's struggles with the hardship of every kind. But God was not silent. Through Abraham, God commissioned a people to bring, a, a special chosen people to bring and bear witness on earth um, of his faithfulness. God showered them with blessings, uh, yet they constantly reverted back to their own ways. They kept rebelling against him. We know the story. This sinful nature inherited by, Habit, by Adam was an inherited sin. We couldn't escape from it. The decisions ultimately led them into oppression and loss. Irrevocably, they called out to God many, many times for forgiveness. They thought God had forgotten them, but God in his mercy and justice, he moved time and time again. Keep on moving his people from place to place. How loving and how compassionate and merciful is our God. At each turn of this vicious cycle of death and destruction, God would um, announce through a prophet the, the coming of a savior, Jesus Christ. From the beginning of time, God has made this promise of this hostage rescue mission that his son, Christ Jesus, would come and be our savior. The savior himself, every story as a hero. And his name is Jesus in our story. The Bible says that the fullness of time, God's promised savior, born in a stable, Jesus did what no other could do by bringing an end to the system of sacrifice and ritual. He broke it. Once and for all, Jesus appeased God's wrath through death on a cross. Hallelujah, brother. Once and for all, Jesus appeased God's wrath through death on a cross, opening a way for rebels like you and I to come home to a peacekeeping father. Amen? Amen. Come on. A star led the wise men to the place of Christ's birth, but history has been pointing Jesus since that time began. Jesus has been pointing us himself from the first page of Genesis to the last page of a revolution. Amen. The church, us, every story has an effect. 
The church is made up of people who have been redeemed by Jesus. They've been formed to live on mission with him. They've been formed to live on mission with him. Yeah? Once Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to give birth to his church. While churches come in all shapes and sizes, the true church of Jesus is compromised, uh, is compromised of all of those who've confessed him as Savior and Lord, and it's a living organism. His body, the church, serves to extend his grace and his truth to the earth, powered by the same spirit. The church exists to proclaim Jesus as glory to all people. The church exists to proclaim Jesus' glory to all people. Forever. Every story has a resolution. At a time only the Father knows, everything in heaven and on earth will be put right once and for all. Those opposed to Jesus will get what they have been asking for, an eternity without him, an eternity without his goodness and his glory. But the redeemed, the redeemed, us, will gather in his presence from every race and every nation, singing the song of Jesus, who rescued them from death and brought them into undenying life. As you open the pages of your Bible, you step into the greatest story ever told. It's rich in historical accuracy, the biblical story written over thousands and thousands of years, all pointing to the author, Jesus. In the word are the keys of the kingdom, the keys of revival, the keys of the gospel. When we look into the word, the keys are already handed to us. Saving us from the perilous, uh, the perilous path of our limited understanding and leading us to the most vibrant life imaginable. We can't do it with our own understanding. We have to go into the word to receive the keys. The keys are not of the natural world. The keys that we're going to take possession of today are not from the natural world. We can't make them. We can't buy them. We can't inherit them. They have to be given to us by our Father in heaven. Through the scripture, God makes extraordinary promises to you and me. The Bible claims that it will make us wise, bring life to our souls, open our eyes for, for us to see things that we couldn't possibly see before and fill our hearts with joy. Make us purposeful and give us lives, meaning, and restore what's been lost and protect us from shipwrecked lives. And many of us in this room have experienced that already. But it's not the sole purpose of the Bible. There are promises of grace and mercy and compassion and love from the Father, but it's not the sole purpose of the Bible. The Bible wasn't just to get us through sin. We were never supposed to be in sin in the first place. We were never supposed to be in sin in the first place. It was never God's intention. The book of the beginning starts with the most significant words of all time. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You see, neither you nor I add anything to heaven. We add nothing to heaven. Neither you or I take anything away from heaven. It's by his grace, his mercy, his love, that he chooses to give us life. He chooses to have a relationship. He chooses to bring us into the kingdom of heaven. We add nothing. We take nothing away. He was before. He is now and he is forever. God, through Moses, prepared these documents to, pres uh, to present a unified picture of nature and character for himself, as we know. The first chapters of Genesis introduce God of creation and his singular goal for humanity. He created image bearers. His singular goal for humanity was to create image bearers. Human sin contaminated and marred God's original plan that he created for the world, but he wasn't thwarted by his purpose. He knew that his image-bearing worshippers would be rescued and that his glory would fill the earth. In order to demonstrate his holiness and hatred of sin, God acted in judgment, Genesis 3, 16 to 19. And this judgment, however, did not obscure the abundance of grace seen throughout Genesis. It pledged to send a child, an offspring of a woman, who would one day crush Satan's head forever, Genesis 3, 15. And in this way, God declared that he had a plan he had a plan to reclaim the rebellious image bearers. You see where we are now. Original design, image bearers. 
image-bearing worshippers. Sin, rebellious image-bearing worshippers. Can you see this, church? Original plan, image-bearing worshippers. Sin, rebellious image-bearing worshippers. Genesis, Revelation, same plan, same hostage rescue. The Bible's not about us. It's not about our sin. It's not about our lives being better. It's about going from rebellious image-bearing worshippers to image-bearing worshippers to bring glory to our Father in heaven. Genesis to Revelation, same message, same plan, same blueprint, but we're lost over here. Rebellious, image-bearing worshippers. Are you with me, church? Are you with me with this? Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Throughout Genesis, God repeatedly made these promises from a series of covenants which he pledged loyalty, faithfulness, and grace to humans. We were called to respond to this grace with worshipful obedience. It's in Genesis, called to respond with worshipful obedience. That has never changed. God's created design and mission in the world have not changed. God's created design and mission in the world have not changed. He is still intent on filling the earth with the glory and using his created image bearers to accomplish that goal. Let me say that again. He is still intent on filling the earth with his glory and using his created image bearers to accomplish that goal. That's you and that's I. That's you and that's I. That's his plan. That's always been his plan. And it's still his plan today. He's the same yesterday and today forever. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's move on. Are you still with me, church? Are you ready for the keys? Are you ready for the keys? Let's see. Genesis 1.1, Jesus created everything and holds it all together. Now, Jesus has been there from the beginning, as we know. We live in this pluralist society where many people believe in some type of God. Therefore, you probably would get, a lot of people would push you back and say, um, you know, well, if God created the heavens and earth, um, that's fine. But they have no understanding about Jesus creating everything, about Jesus being the God, you know. Colossians 1, 15, 17 says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn to all creation. This is key. This is key to revival because this is a blueprint of your heart. This has to be a blueprint of your spirit. He is the image that we are created. Heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers of authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul writes that things were created by him and through him for Jesus. Genesis 1.3, let there be light. God brings light into darkness. Jesus is the light. He penetrates the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. That is the recurring theme throughout the Bible and it begins here. It begins here in Norwich. He is the light and he penetrates the darkness to bring his image bearers from rebellion into worship. These spoken words of God create physical light that brighten a dark world. The New Testament records God sending his son Jesus to be a light of the world in John 1, 1 to 4. And Paul wrote to the church in Corinth saying that salvation occurs when God commands the light of his own glory to penetrate the darkness. By regeneration of our heart, the Holy Spirit brings us from glory to glory. God's light where there is joy, peace, and hope forever. In the end, there will be more, no more darkness, and the light of God's glory will shine brightly in God's eternal kingdom. This is our vision. This is our focus. As image bearers, we must see that at the end, there will be no darkness in God's eternal kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, brother. Genesis 1, 26, 27, stick with it. These are the keys made in God's image. Human beings are uniquely created in the image of God. When the rest of creation was being birthed, it was good. It was good. 
God created the birds, the fish, the plants, and the stars to display his splendor. We look out to the universe. Why is the universe so vast and big? What about all these, these incredible things that we see? Why? For his glory. For his glory. We, as children, can go and enjoy it on spaceships and rockets. But it points to the glory of God. His vastness, his greatness. We are his footstool. Amen? It's rooted in God. When God said, let us make man in our image, he represented, he reiterated the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us as we're made in his image. We are triune. We are man in his image. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. For unique purpose. No two human beings are the same. No one in here is the same. Made for unique purpose. Other aspects of creation, they're not like that. They have general functions. Only humans have a unique function. Every single human being, not identical to another. Image-bearing worshippers. Humans are designed to have one a special, significant thing that nothing else in creation has. One-on-one relationship with God through Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit. One-on-one relationship with God through Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Genesis 1.28, God's created mission. Adam and Eve lived on mission. They lived on mission. They were with him. This is seen in a couple of ways. First, they were to multiply and fill the earth. As created image bearers, multiply and fill the earth to bring glory to our Father. Were it not for sin, they would naturally multiply and fill the earth. And there would be many, many millions of image-bearing worshippers to bring glory to our Father in heaven. And Jesus would walk with them in the cool of the day. Are you with me, church? However, sin came. And rather than multiplying the earth with image-bearing worshippers, they multiplied the earth with brokenness and sickness and disease and death. You see, the act in the garden where they were banished was judgment of our Father in heaven. It was merciful judgment. He didn't want them to live forever in their state of sin. He knew that he would send Jesus Christ, who would die and be resurrected to bring them into the kingdom of God. But they must die from their state of sin so they can be rescued. It was judgment, but it was compassionate love and mercy that they would die and not live forever in their fallen state. Can you see this? Can you see this, church? In Christ, men and women can fulfill their God-given mission. In Christ, men and women can fulfill their God-given mission to fill the earth with worshippers and develop the world in such a way to bring God great glory. Amen? Stick with me. Genesis 3, 1, 7. And this is a, a really significant thing I want you to, to listen to here. The first Adam and the ruin of humanity. Adam and Eve represent a profound paradox here. They are simultaneously the, the crowning achievement of God, creating his very image, and they're also a symbol of mankind's greatest failure. In verse 1, the serpent appeared in the paradise with no introduction. The serpent symbolizes um, this uh, sin this entry of, of destruction into humanity, and um, neither Adam and Eve saw the danger. They, they didn't even uh, realize this serpent was, was sin. They were in paradise. They, they weren't in sinful nature. They hadn't fallen, but they didn't recognize the danger. How much more can we not recognize the danger? And we're fallen. Yeah. We're fallen. I think some people in here have fallen already. Fallen asleep. We cannot recognize the danger that's in front of us because we've fallen asleep instead of being image-bearing worshippers for Jesus. We need to wake up. The greatest awakening and quickening of God's people to the true nature and purpose. Am I talking a foreign language? Leaning church. Spirit of agreement. There are many people still hiding from just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. Fear, shame, guilt, condemnation. 
Adam, where are you? Where are you hiding? Where is the city hiding? Where is the nation hiding? Guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, being persecuted by non-believers, being tormented by the devil, rather than standing as an image-bearing worshiper by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing glory to our Father in heaven. These are the keys, church, to revival. Lord, send revival. Send revival, Lord. You are revival. You are revival. But we sit here in a place of compromise and complacency, expecting Jesus to do it for us. He's already done it. And he's given you the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's opened the door to heaven. He said, come and take the keys, my son. Come and take the keys, my daughter. Rescue my people. Don't sit there feeling sorry for yourself. Arise! Arise and let God inside of you come with fire and water. Come on, church. Come on. There are people here in this room, if you're honest with yourself, you're hiding from God. There are people in this city hiding from God. Those that are saved and those that are unsaved. Hiding because of shame and guilt. And we have an opportunity to go and say, come out. And deal with that shame. Deal with that guilt. Deal with that condemnation. Because there's mercy. And there's grace. God has given us time and space to repent. If my people will repent and turn from their wickedness, I will heal their land. I will heal their hearts. I will bless them and they shall be my image bearing worshippers to bring glory. The original plan. The original blueprint. Stick with me church. Come on. The Holy Spirit's waiting to move here. In the face of condemnation, Jesus offered himself he offered humanity the free gift of salvation by faith that resurrected, that was, sorry, that resulted in justification, the resurrection. That to say to him that this free gift would free us from condemnation. How can we be born again and still feel condemned? If you're sat in this room and you still feel guilt in you and condemnation and fear and worry, there's an issue. There's an issue. Because the Bible says you should be free from that. So if you're not free from it, do something about it. You are either in Adam or you're in Jesus. Inherited sin or free, redeemed back to a father in heaven. Accept Christ or reject Christ. If you are not in Christ, you are in rebellion. It's truth, church. It's truth. 2,000 years on, it's truth. The same yesterday, today, forever. Which generation will rise up? Which generation will die in the desert? Which generation will inherit the promise? Who will be revival? Who will walk in the spirit? Who will walk in the flesh? This is not church. This is not a sermon. This is a prophetic proclamation over this city that now... Now is the day of the Lord. He wants to move in this city. He wants to move in this city through you, with you, as you. As you. Not as someone else. Not as a superhero. As you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Stick with it. We're going to keep on pushing forward. I believe the Lord wants to minister today. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something in you. We've got to wash ourselves of the word first. We've got to build the altar to call the fire of heaven to come down. I'm going to start pushing through to the end of this. And we're going to call you guys to respond to this today. The promised one. God's judgment for sin. Interrupted by a stunning picture of his grace because of human sin. But the vast... Implications from men and women is the very creation itself that we think that we're okay. We have a plan based on our understanding, based on our 
experience based on what we've done in the past. And we come to God with our plan. Lord, we'll do it this way. Bless this plan. Provide resources, provide finance for my plan. The Lord's like, I have a plan. Always had a plan. The original plan, the only plan, the blueprint, brother, prophet. The blueprint is the only way that if my people will turn to my plan and humble themselves, surrendered and broken, I will fill them with my spirit, fire and oil, and they will walk in the glory in the promised land. Someone say amen. amen. Hallelujah. He's here. He's here. He's in the room and you can't see him. Come on. Sin. And I'm going to finish on this. Sin. The exact nature of sin described in these verses are perplexing to most readers. While the actions are somewhat unclear, what is abundantly evident right now in our lives is that we are in rebellion to God's created order. He created order and we are in rebellion to that order. Because it's corruption within humanity. The people have done the very good thing commanded and by God to do in the garden. Go out and multiply the earth. And we've done that. But we've multiplied it with brokenness, with sickness, and disease and death. And generation to generation will continue to do that. You know God is not in eternity. He is in eternity. He is eternity. And we are in him. Omnipresent, omnipotent, in him. He's just waiting to move. Which generation will rise up and humble themselves, surrendered and broken? Our plan, not God's plan. This is the message for this generation. The Spirit is saying, let go of your plan. And embrace God's plan. We create opportunities in business and in ministry, in our families, throughout our lives. Good opportunities. And we justify them. And people applaud us. Well done. Great opportunity. Well done. Woo! Fruit, success, money. Yes. And we keep on doing it and we do it and we do it and we do it and we do it. Years go by. Generations go by. Towers are built, towers come down, kingdoms are raised, kingdoms come down. Our plan, not his plan. Where's the image bearers in that? We are celebrated and cheered on because we see success. Yet it was never God's plan. Now many of those things are good. Many of those things God will bless you in and he'll move through it. Opportunity versus divine assignment. And today is the day of our divine assignment, revival, to be image bearers, worshipping, to bring glory to our Father. Rather than submitting to the command of God and trusting him, we choose to follow the lust of our eyes and our hearts because we think it's good. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. They thought it was good, pleasing to their eyes, pleasing to the heart, and they fell. It's the core of all nature. It's in the very root of sin. We are sinners, not because we choose to sin, because it's inherited from Adam. John warns, however, that these things are passing away, and so are those who live their lives in pursuit of them. Only those who do the will of God can live forever. I've seen 1 John 2, 16 to 17. But how does one choose to do the will of God? The implications of Adam's sin and fall are not merely that people make bad decisions. Yet if they try hard enough, they'll be able to keep God's law. It's because we can't keep God's law. We can't do it on our own. It's not possible. Sin is rooted in our very existence. They hold us in bondage and shackles like slaves. God's law can turn Christ through repentance and faith and give us the free gift of righteousness by grace. God credits perfection to Jesus, perfection of Jesus to men and women who could never earn it by their own merit. If my people shall repent 
and turn to me, I will heal the land. That's revival. If my people shall repent and turn to me, I will heal their city. If my people shall repent and turn, I will heal their people. These are the keys of revival from the beginning to the end. The wickedness of mankind is greater now than ever. And it will continue to to grow. And our generation has a divine assignment to move in this generation. And this city on a hill is a light. And it's been chosen by the Lord to be a light to the nation. But he'll wait for the next generation, if need be. The next generation of Norwich. Maybe they'll see the revival. But if my people shall repent and turn, turn to me with open arms and say, make me your image bearer for your glory. I will worship you. Then this city will be a light of glory. And people will come. People will come. People will come. They won't know why they're coming to Norwich. Yes, it's a beautiful city. Yes, they're beautiful people. But they will come because the Spirit will bring them. Because God will move through the kingdom, through this city, through its people, through the church here. If my people will humble themselves and turn to me and repent of their inherited sin, if they will lay down their plans for their lives and trust me, trust my good purpose for their life, I will give them the spirit without limit. And they shall walk in the spirit, not by the flesh. People will come. People will fly in from around the world. There is an opportunity today. I didn't come here just to preach a gospel message. I haven't spoken to you about anything I've written. It was all given to me by the Spirit. I sat down and he downloaded it. There is still more, but time is against us. There is so much more that God has shown me in this Spirit for Norwich. So we're going to have to do more of this. There are anointings available for this city. There are giftings and realms that have been opened up by our Father in heaven for this city. But you have to step into them on your knees, on your face, if my people will humble themselves so that I receive the glory. You see, God can do incredible things through broken people. Not crushed, broken. Broken and humble. It's all about you, Jesus. You're the reward. I don't want riches. I don't want fame. I don't want glory. I don't want recognition, gratification. I just want you. You're the prize. Is that in your heart? Is that in your heart? If that's not in your heart, then today is a day of change. And I believe that every one of us today can leave here different to the person that walked through the door. If my people will repent and turn, I will put my spirit in them without limit. Yes, you're born again. Yes, you are sealed by the spirit. But there's more. Fire and oil washed in the word. So much more. There are angels in the room right now ministering to people. If you open your eyes, you will see them. There is a rich oil in the room. If my people are hungry, if they will humble themselves, I will feed them. I will anoint them with oil and set them free from their mind. And they will walk by my spirit and my power. Today, church, today is the day to lay things down. I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes for a moment.
It's the same mission. It's just a different generation. Fill the earth with image-bearing worshippers to bring me the glory. God created us to glorify him. We are owned by him, lost through sin and birthed in rebellion. But Christ made a way for us to be redeemed to the Father. Christ made a way for us to be brought back to the original plan. He paid the price for us. Would you pay the price for him? Would you come to a place of saying, I am an image-bearing worshiper to glorify my Father in heaven? Everything I think I know, everything I've understood, everything I've learned in the past doesn't matter anymore. But I'm going to lay it down today. That voice in the garden is the same voice today. And I know there are people here that struggle with that voice. They feel oppressed. And they wrestle to break free from it. If you want freedom from the devil's rule over your life today, I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to invite you to stand and come forward to the altar. Like Adam and Eve, people are still questioning God's faithfulness and his goodwill. If you know that's you, it's the life you've been living, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Today is the day to get right with God. He's here. And he's waiting. And he will respond by action. If you know in your heart, you know in your mind, come forward. If you've doubted him, you want forgiveness from the doubts, you want to step into the promises, come forward.